Welcome again to Hill City Church. In case we haven't met before, my name is Nicole. My husband and I, Charlie, have the honor and privilege of pastoring here at Hill City. And he is preaching the word in Atlanta, Georgia today. He, as you know, has a gift of preaching on his life. There is something about the way he explains scripture and just helps to make it super, super practical that I sometimes have to remind him we can't be selfish here and just keep that in this house. But when we prayerfully decide that, hey, I think sometimes you need to use that gift beyond these four walls. And so he's doing that today. I'm grateful that he's being obedient and doing that in Atlanta today. And I will be kicking off for you our brand new series, Miracles. We are going to be looking between now and Easter at the miracles of Jesus as we see them in the Gospel of John. So this book of John, one of the four Gospels, and I heard it said once that a good author is not how much they can fit into a book, but actually what they choose to withhold. And I can only imagine that the writers of the Gospels must have felt, what do I include? There's so much that they witnessed and heard and saw of Jesus doing and saying, and it must have been really, really difficult to decide. I can't put everything in because we would never leave church, right? So John is very, very particular then and very strategic in what he does include in his gospel, one of which is that he looks at seven distinct miracles of Jesus. And we know that in Jewish culture, the number seven represents completion, perfection. So there's always these nuances throughout the Bible that we find where there is a purpose to them. And so we're going to break down these miracles over the next few weeks. And so today we are going to do the very first, we're going to read in scripture the first miracle that John records in chapter two. So go ahead, pull your phones out, look up on the screen with me. John chapter two, verse one, we're in the gospel of John. And it reads, the wedding at Cana. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Church, would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, we are grateful for your living word. 
And my prayer is that your Holy Spirit would speak to us through your word today, through this miracle that we just read about. That it would shape our thoughts, it would inform our emotions, and then it would transform us. God, we love you. We give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we're looking at a miracle, John uses this language of a sign. Sometimes he calls them works. But basically, they are some sort of unexpected outpouring that demonstrate God's power in a way that defies ordinary explanation. They, they, there's no way they can attribute to the empty jars, now added water, somehow becoming wine. And John says that he's including these so that we would know and believe in God. The purpose behind any sign, any work, any miracle was so that we would understand God's kingdom, or better yet, that we would even understand God and his character, that it would be revealed to us. When we look back in the Old Testament, whenever God acted in some way with some mighty deed, some show of of might, it was simply to reveal something about who God is to his people. And so here we have the same thing, that John is trying to make sure there is no confusion whatsoever. The God of Exodus that Jay just talked about, that God, he's here in our midst, John says. That God is here. He starts out his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he became flesh and dwelt among us. So he's not like trying to to be covert at all. We live in a very covert area. People are always like, what's the actual meaning? And why did you say this on this day? Like there's always these hidden layers, right? And there's a lot of nuances throughout scripture where we see symbolism and there's other hidden things. But John is being very clear out the gates. The Messiah, the one you've been looking for, he's here. The God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he's here. And so he's saying, hey, pay attention to these. And he specifically wants to recall to us to seven particular miracles, the first of which is the water being changed into wine. Now, this miracle for me is one of those that most of the times that I read it, I kind of was like, what's the point? (laughs) Am I the only one that read this? And I'm like, okay, healing, the lame walk, feeding the 5,000, raising the dead, water into wine. Like, it just sort of fell flat for me. I just, I, I've always had a hard time understanding, why is this here? But surely if it's here, then there's a purpose and there is something that we can glean from it. So one of these first things that this time around, I was like, okay, all right, I kind of remember another story with a prophet and some jars. You might recall the story of Elisha. And in the Old Testament, it says that a widow comes to him and she says, hey, I have no money. I have all this debt. I'm a widow. I've got a son. What can you do? How can you help me? And she says, I just have like a little bit of olive oil. So he says, okay, I want you to go home. I want you to get some some jars. I want you to fill them up. And then when those 
get full, I want you to go around and ask your neighbors and fill up those empty jars. And the Bible records that she did this, and that little bit of olive oil kept getting multiplied and kept filling up the jar and filling up the jar, so much so that not only did she pay off her debt, but then it says that she had extra to live off of for her and her son. So we see this miraculous thing that God does in the Old Testament where he's showing his people, I provide for you. I can make nothing out of, I can make something out of nothing. And we see this generosity of God. And now we see that being echoed here in this first miracle that John wants to call our attention to, this miracle of water into wine. And then we have this generous God who they're at a seemingly regular wedding. The people aren't even really mentioned. And yet God takes these ordinary things and he's generous with them. So when we see the the abundance of the wine, that is calling back to once again the generosity of our God. And when we look at, okay, why wine in particular? We need to go back to the Old Testament again. There are scriptures like in Amos and Joel that talk about when the Lord's kingdom would reign, that there would be mountains dripping with sweet wine in the day of our Lord. So John, again, is trying to make sure that the hearers at that time clearly understood that when God shows up, you've been expecting it to look a certain way. And that was associated with an abundance of wine. Isaiah says it this way, that the mountain, that there would be a rich feast with mature wines, that he would wipe away tears and bring salvation and vanquish death. And so John is saying this is what that wine means. This is that age here and now. It's beginning. The Lord God himself is among you. And this miracle is to point at not only who Jesus is, but what else is to come, that we get to participate in a future with God. There's lots of language where we see these banquets, these feasts. So then here we have Jesus at a type of banquet, a type of feast with the wedding, and now the, the water's becoming wine, and it's all supposed to be so that the hearer would understand that this is the Messiah that the prophets were told about. This is his kingdom, and this is how he is choosing to reveal himself to us. And that's one of the things about miracles is it's less the miracle in and of itself. It's less about what it's doing for us and more about what is it revealing about who God is. And so this miracle is revealing this is the Messiah. This is the one who's going to overcome death. And he is God. So not only does God approve of what Jesus is doing, but hey, you have to see the divine glory and attributes of Jesus. And he does so because he says what? That, so that all may believe, that all may come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. He uses language even like on the third day, reminding us again of that Genesis narrative. He took it to us. He took us there in Genesis 1 in the beginning. Now he's saying on the third day. What did God create on the third day? Fruit-bearing trees. What is one fruit-bearing tree but one that brings us wine? 
So we have Lord of nature, of creation, and he's saying, this is the guy, Jesus, he's here. He's the one you've been looking for. So as we're thinking and pondering about this miracle, that maybe at first seems like, why why is this such a big deal? I want us to pull out a couple of things for us to consider, maybe write down. The first thing would be this, is that they were participating in a miracle that wasn't for them. The screen will have it to you this way. Participation in a miracle that isn't for you. Participation in a miracle that isn't for you. We see these servants, and Jesus tells them to go fill up the water jars. And they're not the ones that are going to be drinking the wine. That's for the guests. That's for the master. And yet, they participate in it. They participate in it. They are actively involved in this miracle happening in their midst. Are you okay if the miracle's not for you? Because the invitation is still there. The invitation is for us to be a part of what God is doing. And so it requires those servants filling that up. Could Jesus have done it another way? Of course, sure. But there is something that happens to us and in us when we get to participate in the miracles that God is doing in and around us. So we need to ask ourselves, are we excited simply to see God being revealed? Or do we have to be the benefactor of the miracle? So in our lives, that might look like with friends and coworkers, Maybe they are experiencing something that you've been waiting for, you've been longing for. Can you still participate? Can you still celebrate with them and be joy-filled with them and recognizing God at work in their lives? Because if you can, there is a certain kind of blessing that comes with that. I love how verse 7 says it, uh, or sorry, verse 9 It says, when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it had come from. He didn't even know. He was so unaware that a miracle had even occurred, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The ones who participated in it actively, they knew. They saw what was happening. They saw who Jesus was, what he could do. And that's the beauty of us as the church. I've gone through seasons in my life where I didn't get the prayer answered the way I wanted it to. And then fast forward, I see friends experiencing the miracle that I wished that I had had. And I had a choice to make. Am I going to actively participate in what God is doing in their midst, even though it's not for me? And I want to encourage us that That's what we are as the church. That's what we can be for each other. And those highs and those lows is that we get to come alongside one another. And we get to actively be a part of these miracles. And we don't have to be the ones that are directly getting getting the gift that, that the miracle is even for. But that's a challenge to us, right? Think about here. So talking big church at first, but now just here in our context of church. We have so many areas that people serve and give their their time to, even just like our production, the words you see behind you, the mics running, like there's so many people that, that 
take an opportunity to use their talents for that to happen. And they're not necessarily always benefiting from how that looks like. They're not always down front at the altar call experiencing, you know, God meeting with them. But they are participating in it nonetheless. They are actively getting to see God's hand in people's lives week in and week out. And they get to say, I had a hand in that. God used me. And look at what that life change happened. There are stories here in our church of people overcoming anxiety, of people overcoming addiction, of marriages being brought back. And so when we get to do what seems like a mundane thing, like picking up a water jar and filling it up, we're a part of those miracles. God's using us to set the stage for these things to be happening in people's lives around us. When we've got teachers back in kids' church that are praying with the kids and that are teaching them the fundamentals of Scripture, they're not directly being impacted or benefited from, right? They're waking up early sometimes. Our setup crew, hello, they're waking up early. We've talked a lot about them recently. And yet, God is using what they have brought to allow it to be a place for miracles to happen in people's lives on a Sunday, for life change to happen. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing because there are these moments where we see heaven and earth intersecting. And sometimes they're as small as this moment or what may seem small to us as a moment of water into wine where heaven meets earth, this idea that that. Jesus can break in at any time into anything that is happening and bring us life and bring it, bring us fullness. So the second thing I want us to take notice is the fact that miracle, miracles are hidden in plain sight. The miracle is hidden in plain sight. The master didn't know where the wine came from. The guests were oblivious that anything had rain out. And yet here, at this very ordinary, commonplace wedding, something that happens all the time. People get married here all the time. Sometimes people get married a lot of the time, right? Going on 22 years, this coming Friday, by the way, guys. Just got to throw that out there. 22 years. This is a wayside note, but the older I get, the more... I realize how life is really just all those mundane moments mashed up together. And the more I appreciate them, that they are a little mundane. Charlie and I talk about that a lot, that no drama is good. You know, like we need to espouse no drama a lot more. We have these movies that make relationships always seem so big and dramatic. I just want steady, guys. Steady. Steady gets you 22 years. All right, I digress. We've got this ordinary wedding. It's in a place that's even kind of insignificant. Cain is not even really mentioned it. It's this tiny settlement. Nobody even is kind of aware of who's there. They know Mary's there and they know Jesus is there, but they don't know who Jesus is. How often do we forget that he is in our midst? Because... Life can be mundane. It looks the same a lot of the time. We wake up, we're getting ready for work, 
We're trying to think through all the things that are happening in the meeting, or maybe we're trying to get the children shuffled off to school or whatever that is. And that we can sometimes forget to slow down and to take notice of the activity of God all around us. There's this idea that when we come to prayer and we, we come to God that we think God's kind of just started being active and, and now God's on the scene, now God's working. And there's a better perspective that's like, oh, now I'm aware of all that God has been doing and I'm just getting to be a part of it now. I'm getting to see this miracle that seemed hidden to me before where now... If he can show up at a wedding during the feasting, God can show up anywhere. The the possibilities are absolutely endless. And so God's glory showing up there, announcing his kingdom, announcing himself to the people who were paying attention is the same beautiful invitation that's given to us that we can be a part of these miracles that are happening around us. When I've looked at the narrative between the conversation between Mary and Jesus, usually you kind of hear that tone where Mary brings the request to Jesus and you hear, woman, why do you bother me with this, right? It's been read to me like that so many times. And if we're careful, that's how we can see Jesus's demeanor. But I actually want us to catch what what I think is really more important and, and maybe more what's happening here is remember, probably at that time, Joseph had passed away. So it would have been natural as the son to be taking care of his mom in that culture. So it would have been natural for her to bring to him some sort of need. Remember, Jesus is in his 30s, so he he would have been kind of used to that. I've got a 14-year-old that's already trying to run my household, okay? (laughs) He's up here on me, and he's like, what do you need? What do you need? I got you, mom. I got you. What do you need? What do you need? And I'm not going to lie, sometimes I need it. Sometimes, I, yes, I need, I need the garbage taken out. Absolutely, thank you very much. This past week, the flu hit our house. It was a rough time, guys. It was a very rough time. <laughs> and I took full advantage of when he was willing to bring me some Tylenol and an ice pack and all the things. So here we've got Mary. She goes to Jesus, and it was probably just a normal thing where she would have brought to Jesus she would have brought a need to him. She would have brought his attention to whatever that need was. And so she says, hey, there's, there's, no more, there's no more wine. And if we look at it, this can be such a beautiful model for what intercessory prayer is for us because there's this moment where now she shifts from mom, and I'm going to tell you what to do, versus as another believer, I'm... I'm, I'm giving you the need, I'm letting you know the need, and now I'm going to let you respond as Lord of creation. You, you're that, I'm not. And so there's that beautiful, beautiful picture that she does for us, because so often we come into prayer, and we're like, okay, God, here's the need, and then we proceed to tell God how he, we think it would be best taken care of. And Jesus is now at this point where when he says, my hour hasn't come, like, why are you involving me? He's saying, yes, you're mom, but there's somebody else that I have to answer to. Like, I am not now on your timetable or on your expectations. How many of us have we been in the 
same predicament where we have expectations put on us, but we have to double check, hey, is God asking me to do this? They might be good expectations, but we still have to have that moment of, am I just doing this this because this is what people expect of me, what they think I should do, or am I doing this because this is what God is asking me to do? This is the timing in which God has asked me to do this. It's funny, Pastor Deshaun and I were chatting backstage after our first service, and he was like, I want to know, what did Jesus do as a kid where she would have known he could change the water into wine? <laughs> and I was like, I never thought about that. I don't know, maybe Jesus was like raising the animals, the insects from the dead or something. I don't know. I don't know. That would have been my kids. Anyway, so we've got Mary, and so now she takes this posture of, she's like, okay, Jesus, here's the need. And then she lets him deal with it as he sees fit. And she tells the servants to, to do what he tells them to do. So we have this, this example for us that when we come to God with prayer, prayer without a willingness to obey is little better than faith without a willingness to work. Prayer without willingness to obey is not going to get us very far. We have to be willing to, once we come and bring it to the feet of Jesus, well, now we want to have that same posture where we let it go in light of who God is, in light of how God wants to respond in our life. And we see that Mary's honored for that. And so that's what she tells the servants. So this is our, our final point for us to take notes on. Do what he tells you to do. This is the essence of discipleship for John in his gospel, is that we would be obedient to God, to whatever he has in store for us, that we would simply obey what he has for us. So this miracle that is pointing to Jesus as Lord of creation, as Jesus, as ushering in a new way of life, a new kingdom, these jars that once held water for purification that could do little more than just cleanse their external body. Again, back then, it was normal for a washing of hands, if you will, with these water jars before a meal. They didn't want to catch the flu either, guys, okay? <laughs> so these water jars had this outward purification, but Jesus changes what's on the inside. He brings about an internal change, a different kind of living water that they hadn't experienced before. And that's what Jesus offers to us today as well, that it goes beyond the external and that we can bring things to the feet of Jesus and we can trust him because of his divine glory, because of his, his willingness to enter into our messy, mundane shuffling back and forth to and from school, work, stuck in the car, sports, all the things, that God's willing to show up in the middle of all of that. He's still doing that, friends. And I, I, my prayer is that you would be awakened to that reality if you haven't been already, or that you would be reawakened to that. Because sometimes we can, it's not that we don't know Jesus, but we can just sort of get lost in the, the comings and goings of life that we forget. God, what are you doing? 
you're here. You're in our midst. Awaken me to what you are actively doing. Because sometimes we, we, we forget. But there are these tiny miracles happening whether we see them or not. And so we want to be a part of that. We want to say yes to that. That's the beautiful thing about since Jesus has ascended into heaven and until he comes back is that he can do anything he wants to to reveal himself to us, to interact with us, and he chooses you and I as his vessels. You and I, he chooses us to participate in these miracles. So church, would you bow your heads with me today?